Hello, my name is Naomi Shi, and you're listening to MIR Spotlight, a weekly podcast that features MIR's Writer of the Week that's chosen by our editorial board. Today, we have on the podcast Bubakar Uwain, whose piece titled The Legacy of the 1994 Crime Bill Why Reformers Must Be Skeptical of Biden's Criminal Justice Platform details why exactly progressives should be apprehensive about the Biden administration's promises of reform. Hi everyone, thank you for having me here. Um, my name is Bubakar and I'm a second year political science major and staff writer here at MIR. So your article explores crime reform in the age of Biden and why reformers should be skeptical of his criminal justice platform. You specifically write about the legacy of his 1994 bill. So can you give us a brief overview about what this 1994 crime bill consists of? Yes, so the Violent Crime Control and Law Enforcement Act of 1994, commonly dubbed the Crime Bill, involved a lot of different provisions as it is the largest crime bill in the history of the United States. The law included over 10 different provisions, including the Federal Death Penalty Act, the Truth and Sentencing Grants Program, and the Community-Oriented Policing Services Program. And what these programs did is they implemented mandatory life sentences for repeated offenders through the Three Strikes Law. Uh, It expanded the death penalty eligible offenses. It increased funding for prisons, and it provided money to put over 100,000 more police officers on the streets. These were the main contributors in shaping the country's transition to its current tough-on-crime stance, which incentivized states to build more jails and lengthen prison sentences. Correctional facilities rose 43% from 1995 to 2005 as states throughout the country adopted these harsher laws. To put it simply, by building more prisons, expanding punishable offenses, and putting more cops on the streets, it rapidly accelerated the rise of imprisonment within the country and contributed to the mass incarceration that continues to plague the U.S. today. As the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee in 1987, Joe Biden was the one who drafted the bill as he was actively trying to change the Democratic Party's weak on crime stance in a time where the rise in violent crime was the most important issue for over half the nation. Today, he is at the head of the same party as he looks to reverse some of the policies he shaped in the 90s. But progressives and criminal justice activists remain skeptical of Biden's ability to bring change in a time where it is most necessary. Yeah, um, thank you so much for providing that historical context. And you do mention that now he's at the helm of the party. And like one of the first things he did was sign a bunch of executive orders that dismantled the ones put in place by Donald Trump when he got into office. Can you tell us more about what they address? Well, yes, of course. So uh, Joe Biden signed record-breaking executive orders in his first week, which tackle a lot of different issues. Uh, They range from healthcare to abortion rights to the country's response to the pandemic. And for example, he had recently signed a mandate requiring masks in all federal buildings. And because Trump had undone various of the policies implemented by Obama in regards to healthcare, Joe Biden had then reverted a lot of those back to the Obama era. Um, One of the most notable executive order had to do with federal private prisons. As the Biden administration directed the Justice Department to stop renewing contracts with federal private prisons. Um, This was initially an Obama era policy, which was axed by the Trump administration and was then reverted by the Biden administration again. But unfortunately, although this did a lot of rounds in social media and was massive news, uh, this is going to have little to no impact on the state of mass incarceration in the US because most of the incarcerated population is housed within state prisons. And states can still decide 
who they write their contracts with. What Joe Biden did was only a federal mandate. It has no ability to change what states decide to do. Therefore, there are not any groundbreaking and institutional changes occurring from these executive orders as they simply redirect the approach of the executive branch to do what it's already in power to do. Um, we often see incoming presidents reversing and changing a number of executive orders as they come into office. And although they aren't the biggest groundbreaking thing in the world, they what they do is they can be effective in establishing a foundation from which transformative policies can emerge. And although they have little effect, it's a small but promising step for the Biden administration in fighting criminal justice. So just to confirm, you're saying that these reversals signed executively wouldn't really be of much tangible impact, but they do serve as good stepping stones for, I guess, more lasting reform, right? Well, yes, exactly. Um, so these aren't going to change the prison industrial complex. These aren't going to stop mass incarceration. You know, it, it just changes what the executive branch is already empowered to do. And therefore, it's just based up on president's preferences and how they want to kind of shape their approach to things. But it's not going to have the biggest institutional change, but it does create grounds for growth and grounds for potential from which um, transformative policies can emerge. And maybe to follow up, even though these executive orders do reverse Trump's policies, do you think that they will be effective in actually affecting change? Yes. Yeah, so following the Donald Trump era, it was clear that Joe Biden would dismantle a lot of the policies the former president had put in place, similarly to a way that Trump had done for a lot of Obama's policies. Um, as I mentioned before, the executive changes which Biden is making will not actually create change upon a large scale within the country. But um, this was something already present within the Obama era. And as we know, um, issues surrounding policing and incarceration was st were still present then. So therefore, him reverting to back to the Obama era will not create large institutional change within the country. Um, the executive actions which Biden signed cannot fully achieve his own presidential platform upon criminal justice. Um, transformative change regarding such an institutional problem within the, the country will not be done solely through executive orders, but you know, rather through Congress and, and things like that. And so there's a lot of pressure surrounding this administration, which looks to fulfill progressive demands of a voter base hungry for change uh, surrounding police and the criminal justice system following months of protest in response to the George Floyd murder. Um, I believe that the events during the summer created a shift in the way political candidates in the Democratic Party had to look at criminal justice to be elected. And ultimately, Biden is a reflection of that shift. Yeah, so you talk about the Biden administration and the transitioning. Let's talk about Vice President Kamala Harris, who many people are skeptical about. Can you tell us a bit about what her record suggests? Well, yeah, um, I think that criticism surrounding Harris's record lie around her branding herself as a progressive prosecutor back in the day um, and her record suggesting otherwise. Her policies and decisions during her time as attorney general were far more centric than the ones that Democratic voters were looking for today. Um, Harris is often criticized for her prosecutorial role as San Francisco's district attorney and attorney general. And voters are just worried that she would continue to represent a tough on crime era, which characterized a generation of American politics. For example, in 2015, the Legislative Black Caucus called upon Harris to support bills that would have mandated that all police officers wear body cameras 
and to put increased pressure upon the attorney general's office to investigate lethal police shootings, and she declined. Um, I believe Harris's attachment to law enforcement and her past decisions have made people question her true intentions, uh, because despite her branding herself as a progressive prosecutor, her record as the AG reflects otherwise. But at the end of the day, I think that it's I think it's important to say that not all criticism surrounding her record is valid and that she has done some good things within her role. But at the end of the day, her actions simply invite skepticism from people who are hoping and continuing to fight for change. Yeah, let's talk about that a bit more. So Vice President Harris has addressed criticisms she received about her record, uh, like you talked about during her time as California Attorney General multiple times in the past, especially when she was on the presidential campaign trail. She even released like a criminal justice reform plan that would attempt to undo mass incarceration, the war on drugs, et cetera. Um, do you think that Americans should kind of take this as a sign and believe that the Biden administration, including uh, Kamala Harris, won't stand as obstacles to meeting a reform and actually carry that out? Uh, well, I think that Americans should believe in the Biden administration to carry out some change and to take some small steps in creating criminal justice reform. It is important to keep in mind that um, with increased levels of polarization and even party factions between the moderate and progressive wings of the Democratic Party, we see that drastic reform will be difficult to come by, especially concerning something so engraved within American society. Like, for example, simply seeing the timeline of the COVID relief bill display the strong partisan tensions that continue to govern American politics. These are issues as, as large as um, the war on drugs and mass incarceration. Therefore, it's hard for us to expect Biden and Harris to simply be able to just take these on within their presidential term. But I still believe that they can make small steps which can lead to progress in the future. But people remain skeptical of their ability to do that and believe that they could stand in the way of of, of change just because of their their response to the, the movements throughout the summer. Biden himself has stated that he disagrees with defunding the police and views an increase in police funding to provide for training and technology as the right method to combat some of the issues surrounding police in the country. And while the importance of the federal government in tackling criminal justice is indispensable, various activists believe progress must be made at the local and state level because that is where the, the vast majority of people are incarcerated. Ultimately, I personally do not think Americans should completely bank on Biden to carry out large, meaningful change within the country. And I believe his record rightfully creates ground for skepticism that the Biden-Harris administration will be able to put in little steps for there to be progress within the future and to create, to plant the seeds for transformative policies to emerge within the future. So you, you emphasize that there should be a lot of caution in how optimistic we are about the Biden-Harris administration. And like you said, whether they are actually capable of achieving large long-term change, but understanding that we are moving away from the Trump administration and kind of starting off with a new chapter. Do you think that this optimism about crime reform is justified? Well, uh, for sure. I think it is um, because following the Trump era, I think um, surrounding criminal justice, anything post-Trump era is justified because he didn't even have a criminal justice platform as he was running. But as I said before, we know change in American politics is very slow. And often after big promises are made by campaigns, voters are often left disappointed. 
And the Biden administration has made very big promises within their criminal justice platform. But the platform within which Joe Biden ran itself can warrant optimism because his administration has had the ability to scale back and remedy some of the issues present within the criminal justice system, which, re which remain influenced by the 1994 crime bill. They have made commitments such as eliminating mandatory minimum sentences, cash bail, and the death penalty within their campaign promises. Um, I initially gained uh, inspiration to write this article due to the reaction of Biden's executive order, which ended contracts with pri private prisons. And the outpouring support that he received throughout the internet kind of shocked me because this order only included federal prisons, which only account for 110 prisons compared to the 1,833 1, state prisons. And private prisons only hold 16% of uh, the Federal Bureau of Prison Facilities, which itself only accounts for 10% of the whole prison population within the country. So therefore, I think that a lot of the, the optimism that has emerged is simply because we have gotten out of the Trump era. But a lot of people have background in the fact that Joe Biden is the one now leading the charge and they have backgrounded his past record surrounding criminal justice. And I think that although Biden and Harris have ran on the most progressive criminal justice platform ever, um, as the events during the summer put an increased pressure on the Democratic candidates to do so, I believe that this administration could very well fall, fall short of the promises they have made simply because they are tackling such a large institutional issue that's so engraved within American culture and American society itself that it simply seems like too big of a challenge to take on. Um, but I think it's important to be hopeful simply by looking at some of the campaign commitments they have made and some of the steps they have already taken early on within this term. And I believe that it's important to remain optimistic um, about the administration's ability to achieve some sort of progress. Thank you, Buba, for joining me today. I thank you, Nair, for having me. That's it for this week's Amaya Spotlight. Thank you so much for listening, and you can read Buba's full article in the link attached. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at McGill International Review for more up-to-date insights and analysis on global issues and international affairs.